We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It is that time. It is Wednesday, August 24th, Ryan. We're like 10 days away from Notre Dame, Ohio State. We're actually three days away from college football kicking off. I know exactly what I'm going to be doing on Saturday. It's going to be sitting on my butt watching college football and talking college football and texting college football and doing all that kind of stuff. It is that time, and I'm so fired up. That's Ryan Roberts, our director of recruiting at Irish Breakdown. I'm Brian Driscoll. You all know us. And today, Ryan, we're going to talk about the Notre Dame secondary. Uh, this is the wild card group for the Notre Dame defense. But before we do that, we do have some announcements to make. I got my checklist down here of things going on today. Number one, for those you've heard us talk about the CFB Nation channel. This morning, we launched all the finally all the I's are dotted and T's are crossed and contracts are signed. We have we have added a new show to our CFB Nation podcast channel. Uh, you can find it on the YouTube channel, CFB Nation uh, Show. You can also find our uh, link to our CFB Nation Show on iTunes, or it's not iTunes, excuse me, Apple Podcasts, Spotify. And uh, it's sporting news, uh, college football lead, college football writer Bill Bender and uh, Bill Trockey, who is a editor at Sporting News and who also used to work at Rivals and Sports Illustrated, are the new hosts of the CFB Nation All-America Podcast. So, they launched their first show today. I thought they did a great job. Talked about transfer quarterbacks. Bill has a is a is a sort of a Big Ten guy. You know, covers the Big Ten from that area. Has a lot of respect for Notre Dame. That's why he and I are friendly because he does have a lot of respect for Notre Dame. Uh, but he has an interesting take on Notre Dame and the Big Ten, which I thought was a, a lot of fun. So really, really happy to to have them added to the channel. They will be having their shows come out every Wednesday. And they're going to do a, a great, great job. So very excited to have them on board. That's number one. Let me go to checklist point number two, Ryan. Saturday, this Saturday at 10 a.m., so from 10 to noon this, this Saturday, we are going to officially launch our new game day show. And it is going to be called the IB Countdown to Kickoff. That is the name of our new show, 10 to noon on Saturdays. We're going to have one this Saturday. It's going to be Sean Styers and Vince D'Addario are going to be the co-hosts of that show. I will be making special guest appearances. Ryan will be making some special guest appearances. 
The format of the show Saturday is going to be similar to what we're going to do in season. So on Saturday, the first part of the show is going to be a breakdown of the Notre Dame season. They're going to have some fun with it. They're going to make predictions. They're going to talk about where Notre Dame is going to be ranked. And then the second half, they're going to do a combo of kind of predicting some of the games this upcoming week. But there aren't a lot of big ones in that first Saturday. Uh, And then they'll also be kind of making predictions. They'll go through the different conferences, talk about who their playoff teams are. It's going to be a lot of fun. You may see me swing by at one point in time in the show. You may see Ryan swing by at one point in time in the show. But that is going to be 10 to noon every Saturday. And then, of course, once we get into game week, the first part of the show is going to be those the guys breaking down uh, the Notre Dame game that upcoming Saturday. So when they have the show on September 3rd, 10 to noon, it is going to be uh, them breaking down the Ohio State game. We'll take a look at several different aspects. We'll, you know, I'll be, have a little segment on there. Ryan will sometimes have a segment on there, try to get beat writers. It's going to be a lot of fun. So we're going to continue to have that. And then, of course, the second part of the show is going to preview the big games coming up that weekend. And there's going to be a lot of them in September. So we've been talking about this for a while now, and we're finally ready to rock and roll. Sean and I, Sean Stars and I sat down this week and just kind of went over what it's going to look like and what the outline is going to be. And I think you guys are going to love it. So we're going to have a lot of fun with that. So, But we are going to have our first episode this Saturday. So mark down your calendars. But Ryan... That's also why people need to hit that notification bell and they need to be subscribed to the podcast because when we do set it, it'll be about 9 a.m., then you'll be ready to rock and roll. You'll see that it's going to be coming. You'll get that reminder, uh, but you're definitely going to want to check that out. So that'll be every Saturday starting this Saturday from 10 to noon, and it's the IB countdown to kickoff. So definitely want to check that out. And the third bit, Ryan, is a little bit of a scheduling change tonight. We will not have an IB Nation sports talk show because Ryan and I, are going to be doing a second show tonight sometime this evening around the time when IB Sports Talk normally goes live. Uh, we don't know the specific time yet, but we are going to have a second show today, and that's all we're going to say about that. So, Ryan, got all that stuff out of the way, right? Lots going on, tons going on. It's let's get back to some Notre Dame football, okay? So, secondary. If if it's not receiver secondary is probably to me the biggest question mark about this team. I even think some of the people who are maybe a little not as high on Tyler Buckner as we are, are going to be people that still will recognize there's some talent he can run. And, you know, but when you look at the secondary, I think there are more people who just flat out don't think this group can play. And -hmm. then there are other people we've seen rankings from some different outlets. I think, it was either Lindy's or Athlon had the Notre Dame secondary as one of the 10 best in the country. There's this huge, huge gap between what some people think this secondary is going to be and what other people think this secondary is going to be. And where it meets in the middle at some point in time, whatever side it's further on is going to have a big impact on just how good this defense is going to be, which in turn is going to have a big impact on how good this team will be. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. 
And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Trade Coffee sent us two new flavors after my wife filled out their quiz. Big City French Roast from Joe Coffee in New York City and Black Velvet from Atomic Coffee Roasters in Massachusetts. The Black Velvet was a dark roast with a note of burnt sugar, graham cracker, and malted milk balls. It was a very rich but smooth flavor that reminded her a bit of her favorite dessert, creme brulee. The Big City French Roast was also a dark roast, which is right up my wife's alley. And it was flavored with burnt sugar, baking chocolate, and roasted almonds. The smell in the kitchen while she was preparing a cup of coffee put a smile on my face. And she said the taste was even better and sweeter. And she didn't pick these flavors. They were chosen by Trade after she filled out a short quiz. You got to give this a try. And Trade Coffee connects customers to the freshest and best tasting coffee they've ever made at home by partnering with the country's best craft roasters. These are independent businesses from big cities and small towns. Trade customers are truly impactful for these independent roasters, often being the largest source of new growth for them. Trade's coffee team actually taste tests thousands of coffees to keep 450 different kinds live and ready to ship every day. There's no one perfect coffee, but there is a perfect coffee for you and Trade's human-powered algorithm will find it. Trade is so confident they'll match you right the first time that if they don't, They'll take your feedback, and an actual coffee expert will work with you to send you a brand new bag for free. Right now, Trade is offering new subscribers a total of $30 off your first order plus free shipping and handling when you go to drinktrade.com forward slash Irish. That's more than 40 cups of coffee for free. Get started by taking their quiz at drinktrade.com forward slash Irish and let Trade find you a coffee you'll love. That's drinktrade.com forward slash Irish for $30 off. No, I mean, it's it's summed up perfectly, Brian. I think for me, it's it's a volatile group because I think there's a couple players, specifically in the secondary, when you're talking about a Cam Hart and a Brandon Joseph, where they have a little bit of a resume, especially Brandon Joseph, you know, nine interceptions over the last two years. But it's the sum of the whole group, not just the the part, the two parts that are in the group, right? Like we've seen the cornerback position over the last couple of years, opposite of Cam Hart now has struggled at times. And then you're seeing a young safety, like a Ramon Henderson, who I wouldn't say necessarily took a huge step from this spring to this fall so far from everything that we're hearing. I think he's been pretty solid, but I wouldn't say that he made a dramatic jump. And then you're, you're just kind of left there with, you have a really high expectations for two out of four of the positions, but when you're going against a – and everything is, is I think, kind of pushed towards the Ohio State spectrum. Ohio State, right? Clemson, and USC. I think those sure. three are all kind of fit in that same that same bowl, right. but obviously Ohio State being the first one that's on the yes. docket. And that's what everyone's wanted to ask. Can Notre Dame – and, I mean, we've had it in the chat multiple times, I feel like, every show. Does Notre Dame have the secondary to slow down the great wide receivers of Ohio State? And it's a fair question yeah. because – I mean, Notre Dame at times over the last few years, we talk about like the, you know, maybe the the quarterback position hasn't played up the par in big games. We've talked about that a bunch. But then there's also the fact of like at points, 
cornerback versus wide receiver, there was a clear advantage on the perimeter in space, doing all that, you know, in, in those types of situations. So you're looking at the secondary and I think there's high hopes because there's a couple of high caliber players. And I have, I have a thought process that a couple of the other players that maybe people might not be super high on are going to take dramatic steps forward. But the uneasiness is that you could see a reality where two of the four positions are good, but then two of the other positions are still unsettled and maybe a little bit underwhelming. So mm-hmm. I do think that there is a chasm from could be a good to really good secondary, or it could just be solid and solid as we've spoken about the last couple of days, it's not good enough, right? right. To, to play for a championship, right. to beat Ohio State, to play it's with good enough USC. to go 10 and 2, right, Ryan? It was good enough to go 11 and 1 last year, right? Yes. It was good enough to go undefeated after they lost Kyle Hamilton in the regular season. But right. that's not the goal at Notre Dame. It's not good yes. enough to just be 10 and 2. It's the, the goal is to compete for championships. You abs- you're absolutely correct. Because, in my opinion, Brian, I, I'm a traditionalist, so like everything built through the trenches and being a more physical team and doing all that matters. Right. right. But we have to not be completely nearsighted to the fact that the game is evolving and it's changing right. a little bit. Right. I mean, what we have seen a little bit of a trend of like when Clemson was really good with Trevor Lawrence, yes, they had Trevor Lawrence, but they also had T Higgins and Justin Ross and Amari right. Rogers and Hunter Renfro. Really right. Hunter Renfro, a great wide receiver. He doesn't really. suck. <laughs> yes, he did not suck. He's pretty good. He's a hundred, a hundred catch receiver in the NFL right, right now. So, and he was good. their third receiver on that team. Yeah, I he mean. was just the he was like the third and six, move the chains, Hunter, right. and then we'll throw it outside type of guy. Right. But hey, a very important player for that right. offense for how it functions. And then you look at Alabama. I mean, Alabama's had a string of Henry Ruggs, Jerry Judy, Devonta Smith, John Mechie, just a Jaylen crazy Waddle. amount of talent. Jaylen, yeah. Uh, yeah, I didn't mention Jalen Waddle, who also <laughs> well, had I mean, there's so many. But, that, but your point is you could list – I could list five guys from Ohio State, and you're like, hey, don't forget Terry McLaren or don't forget Paris Campbell or don't for, – and that's the whole point. Yep. I mean, you know, to, to beat those teams, you've got to be – there's two ways to go after those teams. One is you have to have an offense that can match them. We talk about that all the time. But you can't have a great defensive back. Because that one great defensive back is going to be over here, but then what do you do with these other guys? It's not like it used to be where you have like that one great receiver and you know the game is built around that. You've got to cover multiple guys, right? And that's the right. point is, you know, and, 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 and as, as the game has evolved to more spread out, it only puts more emphasis on those guys because yes. now the safeties are occupied with different things and there's more on an island. And the whole point is, is that to beat the best teams that we're talking about, right? Mm-hmm. You've you got to be able to cover. I mean, USC, they've had great receivers for years. And now, I mean, Terrell Bynum is is transferring in. He could tra- – there's a lot of teams he could have transferred to in the Pac-12 and been the number two guy and some teams number one guy. Brendan Rice, same kind of deal, could have been a number two, number three guy. And they're they're battling to not be the number four guy in that yeah. in that receiving core. So, to your point, yeah, you've you got to be able to cover in today's game. I mean, Al- this isn't Alabama 2012. Right. You know, I mean, it, it, look at LSU and what they had in 2019. I mean, we talk about all these great receiving cores. For my money, you give me that 2019 LSU receiving core over any other, right? And, and we can have arguments about that, but that's where I'm going. You know what sure. I mean? And you you got to be able to cover those guys if you want to have a chance to compete for a championship. And it, it's the evolution of not only the game, but it's also, Brian, I think that offensive coordinators for the most part are just getting a lot smarter with how to – scheme open wide receivers right mm-hmm. like i feel like i mean randy moss was a great player terrell owens were a great player but for the most part those guys were lining up in the same spot every single rep right i mean like the better receivers now 
I mean, we talked about Jackson Smith and Jigba playing most of the play most of the time in the slot, but we anticipate like, hey, he's probably gonna play a little more outside because right. Ryan Day's a smart coach. He's gonna move him around a little right. bit more to, to make sure that that scheme is working to his advantage. I think of a Devontae Adams, where 10, 15 years ago, Devontae Adams is probably just your boundary receiver, but now lines up in the slot, lines up at Z, lines up at X, does a little bit of everything. And I just think that that's just a natural maturation right. of the space game that it is today. Well, like, we're and we saw that with Devontae guys. Smith a couple of years ago too, right? I mean, Alabama Sark was brilliant at moving Devontae around. I mean, I yeah. there was there was a I did a breakdown kind of comparing Notre Dame, right? And there was a there was a a game, and I, I it might have been the SEC title game, mm-hmm. but I found five different alignments that he ran lined up in during the game, and, and boundary number one, field number one. Field number two, boundary number two, and then field number three. And that's five different positions that you're going to find him in, either a three by one or a three by two if they went out of empty. And it's hard to know where it got. And, and it wasn't just like one snap at each spot, and then he's mainly here. It was multiple snaps at different spots. And to your point, it just makes it a lot harder for defenses to game plan, which then means you have to have some dudes that can line up and run with those guys. Yes. And if you don't, you're eventually, and this is kind of what happened enough to Notre Dame in 2018 round. I think, you know, you went there first. Mm-hmm. And the reason you went there first is because it just goes to show you can't just have two guys. Notre Dame had two cover corners that, I mean, you go watch the game. Troy Pride and Julian Love shut Clemson's receivers down. But it didn't matter because then they got Renfro on a safety, on a seam route. They took, then, then Julian Love gets hurt. And all of a sudden, now you got to go to your number three guy, and he can't cover T. Higgins and Justin Ross, right? And so it's just it's about depth of talent. It's about guys that can run, guys that can cover. And I don't care how good your pass rush is, Aaron. Here's the other thing, Ryan. Teams are so much better now. It's such a quick passing game oriented universe now. It used to be where it was the reads were top down. Now you have more stuff that is short to deep or just short to intermediate just that's the entire concepts and so that's the other thing is you know coach freeman mentioned in the in the one-on-one that we did with him that you know you want to make teams defend 53 and a third right that's the width of the field but what teams are so good at now is they not only make you defend the width of the field but the length of the field and and you got to have guys can play in space and that's the question mark about the Notre Dame secondary we know they got two but you know one safety one corner but you need more. And so with those two guys, though, Ryan, I think mm-hmm. that is the reason why I don't think this secondary is going to be bad. Like there's sure. a lot of people think this is going to be a bad secondary. They may look bad against Ohio State if other guys don't step up. Mm-hmm. But Ohio State's a different animal than what you're going to face the next seven games until Clemson comes to town. You know, BYU is not going to stress you the way. And I like BYU. We've talked about this. BYU is a good football team. North Carolina is not going to stress you the way that Ohio State does, even though I think you could argue that North Carolina has the second best receiver on Notre Dame's schedule. So why am I saying that? Because they don't have the two, three, and the four that Ohio State might have, that we expect USC to have, that we expect potentially Clemson. There's still a little bit of a a question mark at receiver for me. But when we talk Clemson, it's more traditionally what they've been. No, their current Mm -hmm. receiving core is a a little bit of a question mark. But that's the thing. You go to Boston College and you've got to defend Zay Flowers and George Takis. Well, they've also got Jalen Gill. You know, they've also got some other guys. And so that's just where the world's going. And then you get into the postseason and it's going to be the same animal. We've talked about Bama, right? We've talked about, I mean, even Georgia's going to have some weapons. Now, theirs are a little different, a little bigger. You know, uh, they got 
bunch of tight ends. So you got to cover them. So it's going to determine whether this is just a good secondary that can be a part of a 10 and two football team, or if this secondary can be a part of this program taking the next step. And, and that's, what's going to make this interesting. So let's talk about the specifics of it, Ryan. I, the reality is, is you've got your two stars, potential stars. One is, I mean, Brandon Joseph was a consensus All-American, right? Can we kind of throw him into that? He's a big-time player category, and he's proven it on Saturdays consistently. Even the not-as-good version of Brandon Joseph last year, still a good football player. Sure. Right? So, you know, let's get Brandon Joseph back to playing the way he did, and that's what Notre Dame's goal is going to be. Is And from everything we've seen in the spring, everything we've seen in fall camp, he is back to being that guy. Mm-hmm. So you've got him, and then you've got Cam Hart. Now, whether he's going to be boundary field, left, right, I do think that Notre Dame is going to be left boundary field against traditional offenses. They'll tempo teams, they'll be able to go right, left. But wherever Cam Hart is, right now I would anticipate him being a field guy. You need him, number one, to be healthy. And right now that's a bit of a question mark, as we've as we've talked about. And then number two, when he is healthy, and, and we expect him to be healthy, if he's not already back to being healthy like early next week, it'll be soon. Mm-hmm. It wasn't a major thing, and that's all we're going to say about it. Uh, but what what you've got him, you, he's got to take a step forward this year. He can't just like we've talked about this. If Isaiah Foskey's the same guy that he was last year, he's still one of the best pass rushers in college football. Sure. If Cam Hart's the same guy he was last year, he's still a quality defensive back. But our excitement about Cam is more about he's got to take that next step. He's a good corner right now if he's just the same guy as last year. He's a good corner. But they need him to take a leap, and that's going to be a key. If you can get those two guys playing at a high level, we we can talk about all the other positions, but that's got to be a must. You have to get those two guys playing like big-time players. If they don't, then it's going to make it harder to find what the recipe you need at those other spots in the secondary. You talked a lot about depth that people have at wide receiver now, it seems like it's an embarrassment of riches. And that's where the depth of the cornerback is so important because you need to be able to match up against those types of players, right? And I think that the biggest thing that Cam Hart brings to the table is that he is a very, very enticing combination of size, 6'2 and a half, 32 plus inch arms, speed, reject him into running the four fours. And he's a much quicker athlete than you might anticipate for his size. Is he like, is he going to move like a Tariq Bracey in short spaces? No, of course not. I mean, he's not 5'10", whatever Tariq Bracey is, 180 pounds. He's a 6'2 200 pound corner. But the fact of the matter is, is that he can match some ability to play in tight spaces. So he is a potential matchup negator if he's at his best. I think that right now you look at him and say, he can limit what a wide receiver can do. But I think that if he takes a step and he is as good as he can be, then he could be a guy that shut down is a little hyperbolic. Right. Because, I mean, shut. I mean, teams will avoid him. Teams yeah, will avoid exactly. him and he can at least neutralize your yes. best player. Like, like, you know, it's a perfect example, Ryan, because I, I think mm-hmm. you, you, you're getting ready, you're, you're hinting at something and I want to zero in on it. You sure. and I have talked about the, the term shutdown corner. That's not mm-hmm. really a thing outside of like the truly special, you know, just sure. Champ Bailey, Char- you know, um, Deion yeah, Sanders, Sanders Daryl yeah. Revis for a couple years. Like that's not really a thing. What it mm-hmm. is, it's a lot like the Notre Dame Purdue game last year. Mm-hmm. Now, did David Bell beat Cam Hart for a 30 yard gain? Yeah. But for the rest of the game, he didn't do a whole lot. 
He had seven right. catches, but those seven catches went for minus 70 yards. He didn't average 10 yards a catch. So you're going to get beat a time here, a time there. But what's not going to happen is if you have that kind of corner, that guy right there is not taking the game over sure. against him. And that's what it can do is he'll make his plays, but it's not going to be like what Jackson Smith and Jigba did to Utah. And I think that's a perfect example because Utah in that game had a great corner who played a great game, but they could just avoid him because they had so many different guys. And I think that's to your point that you're going to Ryan is it's not about shutting a guy down, meaning he has two catches for five yards. That's not the thing. It's Mm -hmm. keeping that other player from taking the game over with just you and not needing to give you a bunch of help. That to me is what Cam Hart can be. And I think that's, I wanted to zero in on on that, on mm-hmm. what that means because we use that term, shutdown, lockdown, Honestly. and 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 yeah, lo- and I think want people to understand what that means, right? Sure. So please. Continue. Well, I would I would say this, Brian. I think the Purdue game is a great example because even the the long catch that David Bell did have, that was a contested catch where David Bell just made a absurd adjustment to the football in the air. Even that play. Cam Hart made it difficult, right? Like it wasn't an easy completion. It wasn't like he just got beat off the line and it was toast. And, you know, it was just, it was only a matter of time until the ball got there. Like it was a contested catch that had, for me, Cam Hart can make things very difficult. He can stress things a lot. He can make every throw, even a completion, tougher than what maybe they it would typically be for a Jackson Smith and Jigba or a Marvin Harrison Jr. or whoever, a Mecca, doesn't matter. He needs to make everything difficult. And for mm-hmm. me, Brandon Joseph needs to be the playmaker in the back end, though. Because I yeah. do believe that that Ohio State is with because again, Ryan Day is a really smart offensive guy. He is going to avoid Cam Hart, I believe, right? Like I'm not throwing at F5. Like I'll take my chances with six and 28 and whoever else is out there. I'll take my chances. Brandon Joseph playing safety and being able to play at different alignments. He's a guy that you can take advantage of the alignment perspective of versatility where he can make plays from depth. He can come up. He can play in the slot a little bit. He can move all over the place. So it's harder to avoid a guy like a Brandon Joseph. So when Brandon Joseph has opportunities, not even just in the Ohio State game, but just in general throughout the year, he needs to make plays. And we've seen it. Game-changing plays. Nine interceptions the last two years. The interception two years ago against Ohio State in the Big Ten Championship game. He's had those moments already on film. So for me, I'm not worried about ball production with Cam Hart. I'm worried about him being the best version of himself because that means that no one is going to test him for the most part. Mm -hmm. Brandon Joseph, he's the guy for me that Al Golden and this defensive staff, they need to scheme him to make him the playmaker on the back end. He needs to be the ball producer. He needs to be the guy that makes a big play strips a guy in the open field it causes an interception coming over top robber coverage coming underneath pass breakup in a big moment like that's what brandon joseph needs to be he's the playmaker but for and cam hart on the other way is the matchup negator that's how right. i kind of see these guys and that's what i think to maximize as good as the secondary can be that's the roles that each of these players right. can play in my opinion it, it, when we look at the bowl game against oklahoma state the reality is, is Oklahoma State just said, we're avoiding five. And they picked on the other side of the field the entire game. Safeties, corners, the whole thing. If Notre Dame plays its defense the way that we saw in the spring, it's going to be Cam Hart as the field corner and Brandon Joseph as the boundary safety. So now if Cam Hart and Brandon Joseph, and this is why it's so important that they both play to their 
potential, you know, in the potential somewhere in the range of what their potential is. If they both do that, then what that is going to do is give Notre Dame, uh, it's going to be harder to do what Oklahoma state did to them right now. The problem with the Oklahoma state game is they did that with a mediocre quarterback and a good group of receivers, but nothing great. Right. Like if they play that way against Ohio state, it's Ohio state's passing yard numbers are going to look like Notre Dame's passing yards numbers did in that game. Right. And that's why getting Brandon Joseph is so important is because you now have that guy that's on the back end. So you have a second big time player, but now you have a potential to have one big time player on both sides of the field, or one could be patrolling center field at times. Cause we both think that that Brandon Joseph can play center field at times. He can also play the out. He can play man coverage. Kyle Hamilton and Brandon Joseph are two completely different players. I mean, Kyle Hamilton was a force of nature coming downhill, playing the alleys, playing over top on the outside. We saw that in the Bama game. You know, two years ago, we've talked about this. You know, Mac Jones tries to go vertical. Kyle comes off the hash, almost picks it off. I don't think they threw another deep ball the rest of the that, game. Now, that, part that of that was because they didn't need up. it. Yeah. yeah. And almost was, picked it a, off. That was on Slade Bolton, right? It was like yeah. a little – it was like an out and up yeah, or like a little wheel, wheel or something route. like that. Yeah. And, yeah, yeah. It was fantastic. They didn't play. throw deep the rest of the game, partly because they didn't really need to. They were just getting it in space, and Bama's guys were shaking Notre Dame's secondary guys. But the other part was like – they knew that Notre Dame couldn't score on them. They weren't going to do anything to allow a guy like Kyle Hamilton to make the kind of play that could change that, turn that game around, right? Sure. And so they they were able to do that. Well, part of the reason they were able to do that is because, again, there wasn't that second big-time player. You could just kind of avoid Kyle Hamilton and attack the other players. Same thing in the bowl game last year. Getting that second big-time player, and the point about Hamilton and Joseph is – Kyle was a, a downhill force. He was a run game force. He was a playing the intermediate zones force. He he could take the top off the defense in coverage because he was so rangy. But Kyle was Kyle wasn't a bad man defender. I'm not going there, but he wasn't an elite man defender. And we saw that a little bit last year. You know, we saw it in the Cincinnati game. We saw it in the Toledo game. Uh, there was another game. I'm trying to remember. Uh, there was another game where he he ended up not resulting in catches, but you saw him get beat you know, yeah. on certain plays. Brandon Joseph is not the freaky force downhill box alley player that Kyle Hamilton was, but he is a much better cover defender, in my opinion, than Absolutely. Kyle was, which then adds even more to what you can do with him on one side and 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 uh, Cam Hart on the other. So I think those two players playing like stars is going to make this a good secondary. But the reality is, Ryan, a good secondary is not good enough to beat Ohio State unless your front seven just dominates the game, right? right. They don't dominate the game. You're going to need to be better than a good secondary, and a better than a good secondary is going to be determined by who else is in the secondary. And a guy that I don't think we are hardly talking about at all this offseason who could have a big role on this football team is Tariq Bracey. Yeah. who's kind of settled into that nickel spot. If Ohio State plays Jackson Smith and Jigba where they did, what, 90% of his snaps last year? What was it, 90, 95? What was the number, 90, Ryan? 93 or something. Yeah. That was a crazy number. If yeah. they play him in the slot a lot, that's going to put him square into a matchup with Tariq Bracey. Mm-hmm. And the problem with Tariq Bracey in the past has been there are games – where that matchup doesn't there if there are games I could point to Georgia 2019 uh, you know Pitt Florida State 2018 we've seen times in his career where you say if Tariq plays like that that matchup doesn't scare me Jackson will get his but Tariq's going to get his too 
and you're not going to let him take over the game. Then there are matchup. There are times when you walk watch street play, and you're like, if he plays like that, Jackson Smith and Jigba is going to go bonkers in this game. And that's the big thing with Tariq is he's got to find a level of consistency now that he's a fifth year senior. He's one of the COVID kids, right? He's one of those mm-hmm. kids that played for four years. He played as a freshman, played as a sophomore, junior, and senior. Part of the team for four years, he gets the extra year because of COVID. They need him to take advantage of that. Yeah. That's going to be the key. They're, they're going to need him to do that. And if he can be that, that's the part of the secondary that we're not talking enough about against USC, against Clemson, against Ohio State, that could really help out. Because if Tariq is able to say, hey, you're one of our fastest players, go cover that guy. Mm-hmm. Then you go out and you say, now you can have your safeties helping that other corner a little bit. So I think Tariq Bracey's not being discussed enough as far as his importance of this team. Now, we're not saying he's going to be a star. He's going to be great. We're saying is if he plays to his best more consistently, that gives you just another tool in your tool tool belt that's going to make this secondary better. And we, we've talked a lot about this, Brian, on like when we've kind of focused a little more on Ohio State. It's the fact that I feel like no one was talking about Tariq Bracey. And that even goes to like, I, I imagine USC is going to use Jordan Addison in the slot a little bit. I imagine UNC is going to use Josh Downs in the slot a bit. Like there are some really good players on this on this schedule that I think are going to play in the slot a ton this year for their respective teams. So Tariq Bracey is very important. And he's a guy that he can match the quickness, right? Like he has that determination and he can play. And he's a pretty physical player considering that he's a little bit of a smaller guy. Like he can play the run decently well, and he's not afraid to play attached to guys kind of working down the field. So I think he's very important and it, it goes way beyond Ohio state. We're talking about a a schedule in its entirety. We're talking about a season in its entirety. There's a lot of talented slot receivers that Notre Dame is going to see this year. And Mm -hmm. Tariq Bracey, in a few games, it's going to be a vital member of the secondary. Like mm-hmm. you're not going to put Josh Downs hundred percent of the snaps against a Cam Hart. You're not going to do it. You're not going to put him in the boundary hundred percent of the time. You're going to use him in the slot. So naturally Tariq Bracey becomes a big player. Jordan right. Addison in the slot. Tariq Bracey becomes a big player. Jackson Smith and Jigba in the slot. Tariq Bracey becomes a big player because you're not going to leave a Rover in the game all the time to work in the slot against those types of players. Like it's not going to be. And you're not going to use just a traditional safety in that role, just rolling him down and playing man-to-man against those types of guys either. Tariq Bracey is a very important player in a right. in a world and in a game and in a league, even moving up to the NFL level, where teams now play play sub-package defense almost as their base more, to- more often than they do as a beast defense. A nickel cornerback is just so much more important than it once was. And I feel like not, barely anybody's been talking about Tariq Bracey. Sure. He is vital to this team yeah. this year because there is a lot yeah. of talented players that are going to make plays in the slots uh, opposition this year. So when I, you know, when I look at Tariq and I look at what he can be, the thing is, is he is a really dynamic athletic kid. And we've heard for years, he's one of the fastest players on the team. He's quick, He's but he's small. And I think at times playing outside, got him into some matchups where he just wasn't he just wasn't gonna thrive I mean I still remember the Virginia game and Virginia didn't have a lot of speed of receiver in 2019 but what they had Ryan if you remember that team they had some big boys they had yes. some like six two six three like 215 pound guys that just you know he just he would be in position and and then he just would get 
he would just he couldn't play with them, you know. And and I remember um, uh, Dubois, I think his name, the kid from Jersey. I don't know if you're familiar with him. He had uh, yep. he was a big kid, six three, two fifteen. You know, had a thousand yards that year. He's a really good player. But he ate Tariq up. He had like nine catches. I'm looking at the stats now. Nine catches for 143 yards. And there was Joe Reed was on that team. He was 215 pounds, 6'1", 6'2". But there were times where Tariq is right in Dubois' hip pocket, and he just – they'd throw it up, and there's nothing Tariq could do about it. And and that was as an outside guy. As an inside guy, you can protect him a little bit more. And, and, and he's not going to be in as many matchups against bigger slots. Now, there are some slots that are bigger players. But it's mm-hmm. you don't see a lot of teams throwing a Chase Claypool out there in the slot like Notre Dame did in 2017. You right. you, you you see more guys that are like Jackson Smith and Jigba. Now Jackson has some size on Tariq, right? He's six foot, sure. you know, a little over six foot. Tariq's about five ten, five ten and a half. But that's a matchup of athlete on athlete, and that's where mm-hmm. Tariq has thrived in the past. But they're going to need him to really be on top of his game because some of the slots that he can match athlete for athlete are also really savvy players. And that's the thing about Jackson Smith and Jigba specifically that I really like is I don't know what his combine numbers are going to be. This is, But like when I watch him play, I'm not saying he's not fast. This isn't what I'm mm-hmm. saying. What I'm saying, however, is that he's not great because he's fast. Right. He's great because he knows how to play the position at a high level. He knows how to, he understands using leverage. He understands how to manipulate guys with his stem and his top ends and proper break, uh, you know, proper uh, angles coming out of his breaks and things like that. Those are guys that at times in the past have given Tariq some issues because Tariq would just get by on athleticism. Now you've got to hope that he is now as a fifth year senior experienced enough and savvy enough to where he's not going to allow those things to create separation where Jackson beats him for on a slant route for eight yards, but he's tackled right away. Not Mm -hmm. you got beat. He gained separation with his top end. He catches it. You're in trail mode. And now he's making people miss and he's weaving down the field for 30 yards. Those are the kind of plays that Tariq is going to have to avoid this year. And, and he's got the speed for it. He's got the athleticism for it, but what he's got to show me this year is he's got to show me that he can be uh, a a little bit more consistent and, and play with a little bit more, I'm trying to think of the way to not, not technique because that's like I would, a, a. I would say a, show a better feel. Yeah, show a better feel yeah. for how to cover, not just being athletic. Sure, you know sure. what I mean. I, I was thinking like more of a proactive approach, right? It's like kind of seeing things happen before they happen, type of thing. You know, because right. like, I think that more often than not, in my opinion, anyway, and you can disagree if you want, but I I think of Tariq Bracy as a reactive football player, right? Like he sees something. He's explosive and he can run, so then he can make up that ground real quick, right? Like that's right. when he's at his best. But you would hope that in coming into his fifth year, that he's kind of seeing the game at a quicker pace, right? Like he can kind of see, okay, why is he attacking my blind spot here? Why is he why is he running the route from this alignment specifically? Why are the why are they doing what's the process to what he's trying to do to me? Because I think mm-hmm. if Tariq Bracey becomes a player where he can kind of see things happening a little bit quicker, plus his athleticism, then he could be a really impactful football player. Yeah. So I, I'm hoping that we get to that point right. because if he doesn't take that step, he still has a chance to be a solid to decent nickel, right? Because right. he's got enough athleticism he can run. and enough traits. Exactly. Yeah. And, he and here's run, another thing. You know who else does? You know, the Jackson Smith and Jigba, right? We're talking about that matchup, Jordan. But most teams on the schedule don't have that guy. You know what I mean? That's the real most. And and he did a good job against Josh Downs last year. The only they beat him for a wheel route. If you remember that play, they yeah. ran a pick play on him. And the, mm-hmm. it was it was a clear pick play. They didn't call it. Only Notre Dame gets called for pick plays. 
Uh, you know, but that was the only time they beat him. I mean, I thought he did a good job on Josh Downs last year. Now, yep. Josh Downs is more in his wheelhouse from a size standpoint, though. Yeah, Jackson's yep. and Jackson's six foot. He's not real tall, but he's I think he's really long. Even I mean, he he's to me, and I could be wrong. He appears longer than your typical six foot six one. Like when I saw him listed as six foot, I was like, boy, he looks t- he looks bigger than that. You know, because he he's really of, long and gangly. He reminds me of like size. What? Well, he, this guy's probably a little bit taller. But you remember Keenan Allen coming out of Cal? Yeah. Like yeah. Keenan Allen was like six one, but like his arm length just, just made seems him look like bigger, he's so much yeah. longer. You know, like yeah. I like honestly, you could have told me Keenan Allen was like six two and a half at Cal. I'd be like, yeah, it looks like he might be six right. two and a half, but it's just because right. it's just the look of him. You know, and, right. and it's Jamar a Chase decent that way as well. Like exactly. he's another guy. Yep, but and it's a decent. Just, co- yeah. Go ahead. Sorry. Go I, ahead. I was just going to say it's a decent comp for me from a Keenan Allen perspective because Keenan Allen's also a very nuanced approach to a receiver. Like mm-hmm. he's not a dynamic athlete, good athlete for sure. I mean, he's playing on the NFL level, but Keenan Allen wins because he understands how to run routes and where to attack and where to sit down against zone. And that is what Jackson Smith and Jigba is to right. me, man. Like he is just such a, for being 20 years old, 21 years old, he's a very nuanced player. Like he just looks like he was a guy that has been playing wide receiver for his entire life, and he understands how to take advantage of space. That's what Jackson Smith and Jigba is to me. And to your point, that's why Tariq Bracey needs to be a more instinctual player, a more proactive player, because that guy understands what he's doing as a wide receiver. So for Tariq Bracey, you're not going to be able to win just off of pure talent. You are going to have to do those types of things. Now, it's only going to hurt you if you don't against – three to four teams. Cause that's the teams that we've kind of designated mm-hmm. as like, they could have big time slot options. So it's not going to kill you, mm-hmm. but in the biggest games, it can kill you is the point. Mm-hmm. Now we will see Tariq a little bit outside at times, but honestly, my hope is that we don't see him a lot outside because if we don't see Tariq a lot outside, cause actually remember now he started the Wisconsin game last year, him and Clarence Thomas were actually the starters outside last year. Uh, against Wisconsin and they rotated in he would play outside corner a lot if Tariq's not playing outside corner at all this year that's a good sign for Notre Dame as we kind of transition to the rest of the cornerback because that's the question yeah I think Tariq is like Ryan you nailed it right like and, and we had a comment from I think it was Michael Parks said this and I think he nailed it he goes 28 needs to be pesky like, that's what they need from Tariq they don't need Tariq to look like the second coming of, I mean, pick whatever great slot corner that, that you can think of, right? Like they don't need him to be Denzel Ward, you know, that kind of thing, right? Is the first, you know, really short, small, super fast corner, you know, slot corner kind of guy. Sure. But they just need him to be pesky, put up a fight, make Jackson work. You know what I mean? If he beats you, beat him late. Because if he beats him late, the quarterback may not have time to get it to him. That's the key. Don't get beat off that initial stem. Don't get beat off that initial top end. Don't get beat out of the break. Make him beat you. Make him work to get open because then your pass rush can pick you up. And that's going to be the key. The other position, I think, is the bigger question mark. And there's a couple ways to look at this. And you're already seeing some of it in the chat. Clarence Lewis needs to get benched. He needs to not play. He needs to whatever else, whatever the case may be. And and I I understand that emotional reaction. I do because we all have this recency bias thing, right? And the most recent time we saw Clarence, he was playing the worst game of his career. But you also can't like, and I want to push back and I want to say, that's not how he is. That's not how he was his whole season. He's not that guy all the time. 
But we also can't then go so far to say is that was the only time we saw Clarence Lewis struggle last year Mm because it wasn't. We saw him struggle against Cincinnati. We saw him struggle against Wisconsin, but they benefited from the fact that Graham Mertz couldn't hit those guys when they were open. So Clarence is going to have to raise his level of play. Now, some of the things I learned this offseason as I kind of dig into different sources and stuff like that is they knew they put him in bad spots last year, but they, they had no choice. That, that's just kind of what they had to do. I don't think – I don't think – I could be wrong. I don't think that we're going to see him play as much up man as we saw last year, but I'm not, I'm not 100% certain on that. I think we're going to see him play better uh, or play off more. And, you know, like Brandon just said, he says in big games he seemed to struggle. And the point is because in big games, those teams tend to have better receivers, and that's the key. Right, big game, Cincinnati. It wasn't because it was a big game. It's because he had to face Alec Pierce. Most teams didn't have an Alex Pierce. Alec Pierce. You know, the 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 Iowa State, Oklahoma State receivers were actually good players. They Jay just Martin didn't have a quarterback player. to get him the ball all year. Yeah. And in that game, he Spencer Sanders played out of his mind and was making passes I'd never seen him make before. Like, okay, well, you know, sometimes they just have that day, but you were still getting beat. You can't just chalk that up. Ah, oh, Spencer Sanders played out of his mind. Nothing you can do about it. Yeah, you, yeah, you still things you could have done about it. So when you when you get down to it, is it, it wasn't the only time we saw Clarence struggle, Ryan. And and the reality is he's going to have to play at a higher level. But it's not just him. If he is starting, it's going to be imperative that Al Golden and Mike Mickens and the defensive staff say we've got to do a better job as a staff putting Clarence in position to play a game that better fits him. And the thing that I keep going back to, and you and I have talked about this, they need to start playing him the way that they played Julian Love in 2018. I'm not saying he's Julian Love. What I'm saying, however, is they have a very similar style of play. When Clarence can keep stuff in front of him, he's pretty good. He's -hmm. instinctive. He's physical. Uh, I think he's a a good tackler. I know people are going to point to the Alabama game. I get it. It's a freshman, sure. bad play. But unlike the coverage issues, which have shown themselves in several games, that was the only time I really saw him have a bad missed tackle was in that game against Devontae Smith and Najee Harris. And he was a freshman. He's a junior now. I think if they can find a way to utilize him as more of an off-man guy and help him with linebackers buzzing curl flats and buzzing flats, you know, or hook curl and then buzzing the flats and having your Viper at times drop underneath you know, the little quick stuff and let him play more off man, give him more safety help where when he does come up and be aggressive, he's got help behind him. You know, things like that where you're just not leaving him on an island because if Clarence Lewis is getting torched this year because he's on an island getting beat, that's not on Clarence Lewis. That's Mm -hmm. on Al Golden. That's on Marcus Freeman. That's on Mike Mickens. That's the reality of this, of this matchup. Yeah, I don't disagree with that at all. I I think for me, Clarence is a player where he has some aggressiveness to him and that can hurt him in press, right? Like Mm -hmm. when you're up in the line of scrimmage and you have a bad jam or you have a false step, you can get beat. I mean, that's just the point blank to it, but kind of your, I like your Julian love comparison because Julian was so good as like, he was basically just like flat foot reading a ton, Mm -hmm. right? Like he's not even backpedaling. Baiting guys in the quick throws. Yeah. hundred percent. And being able to jump on the short stuff and be instinctive football players. Julian Love, if he's playing press man, 
it's not going to be a great thing, right? Like he's not incredibly long. He's not fast. He's just a really instinctually good football player mm-hmm. and a good all around right. athlete. That's what Julian Love was. But you didn't want to put him in certain situations. No. You wanted to play it to his strengths, to your point about a Clarence Lewis. And I do think that there is a world where Clarence Lewis can be a good corner for you. Right. He can be a successful player to a specific role. Starts, like you said, with the coaching staff putting him in a better position. Now, from there, it's up to Clarence to be the player right. that he can be, right? Like right. you Because if he's getting put in a better position and he's still getting beaten, he's right. not playing well. That's on then, him. 100%. Right. That is on him in that. But I do agree that I don't think they put him in the best position to be right. successful. But if he is and he's not playing well, then that's when you need the rest of the guys, the Jaden Mickeys of the world, the right. Benjamin Morrisons. If Ryan Barnes is sticking in a corner, yep. I know he's been playing a little bit of safety. We'll see what he's. The, the by the way, is. just because people yeah. ask about that, I re, he's yeah. cross training because of Xavier moving to receiver. Makes so, sense. But I, I, I want to stay on Clarence for a second here before we move yeah. on to the other players because. Here's the reality, folks. Clarence Lewis is going to play this year. Does he start? Does he play the same volume of snaps he played last year? That remains to be seen. I don't think that he will because there are other players kind of stepping into that spotlight and stepping into that to that help. But the reality is he's going to play. And the point that we're making about Julian Love is when Julian Love had to flip his hips is when he got in trouble at Notre Dame, and that's exactly why he's playing the position he's playing now in the National Football League and not playing corner is because he doesn't have to flip his hips. What I mean by that is I'm not talking about flipping your hips as you're playing off, you know, deep zone coverage, things like that, right? I'm talking about you're up in the line of scrimmage and you got to flip your hips and open and run. That's when Julian would get hurt. We saw it against Michigan in 2018. That was one of the big plays that Julian – that was one of the few times Julian ever got beat because on that particular play, Notre Dame put him in an off-man situation and the guy just got on him and beat him on a post route. He didn't flip his hips real well. Guy beat him for about a 50-yard gain. If was that Nico Collins? I think Nico so, Collins? yeah. I think so. Yeah. And so that's where Clarence is, right? Like you want him to, because think about what a lot of his best plays were at Notre Dame. The pick six mm-hmm. against NC State, the pick six, pick six against Michigan State, the board, the, the pick against Wake Forest, he almost took back the house. A lot of the big plays Julian made were him coming downhill, him baiting a quarterback into a quick throw and then coming downhill. And I think those are the things that I think that Clarence can bring to the table, not into the to the high level that Julian did, but a very similar style of play. And I yes. think that then protects him a little bit more. And then the other way to protect him, Ryan, is to have other guys can step in when the matchups aren't ideal for him. There are going to be games this year you want him out there because you're playing bigger receivers that maybe aren't burners. But, you know, you're going to want Clarence Lewis getting a lot of snaps against Stanford. You know, against Michael Wilson and Elijah Higgins and guys like that that are the bigger corners. You may not want him to get 60 snaps against Ohio State. You know, and this year, although this year Ohio State's a little bit better matchup for him, they can run, but they're bigger guys. You may need a little bit of a bigger body there, but there's going to be other games you want to have guys that can run a little bit more. And I think that's where you start to say, okay, who steps up next, Ryan? That's mm-hmm. going to be a big question mark of corners. Who's that next guy? And is it just one? Is it just Jaden Mickey? Is it Jaden Mickey and Benjamin Morrison? Is it those two and Ryan Barnes? Is it, is it Chance Tucker? Who is that other guy? And is it more than one guy? Because if two or three of those guys can really step up and say, coach, I'm ready to help. Put me in. And I'm including Ryan Barnes in that conversation too. Now all of a sudden, Mike Mickens and Al Golden have some things where like, hey, this matchup is made for Jaden. 
This is a matchup where I think Chance can really thrive in 2025 snaps. This is a matchup built for Clarence. Hey, this is a matchup where we can play Benjamin a little bit more. That's where you want to be. That's where I think Mike Mickens wants to be, where he's got more guys that are proven to be ready to play that can be counted on to go out there and make plays. And there's a lot of different skill sets in the receiving core after Cam Hart and Clarence Lewis to where you can say, hey, we want this matchup. Or if you're playing a team that's got a really small, fast outside guy, hey, Tariq, we're putting you outside this week. Jaden, go handle the nickel. Right? Mm-hmm. So it's a lot of different things. And there are times where I wouldn't mind seeing Clarence in the nickel at this point in time. No. And so that's kind of where I want, where I think it, this secondary success, this corner success is going to be determined not by how much Clarence Lewis improves. It's going to be determined by does Cam Hart be the guy he's capable of being? Can Tariq be depressed, be consistent? And then beyond that, who steps up along with Clarence at that other corner position? That's going to be a key for me, Ryan. I think I think Clarence Lewis is a pretty self-driven kid, right? Like, I think that he wants to be better than he just was last year in general. Like, I don't think he necessarily needs a kick in the butt in order to be the best version of himself. But it never hurts, right? Like, it never hurts to see a guy behind you be like, wow, that guy's really good. Like, I need to step it up a little bit, mm-hmm. you know? Like, that never hurts. And for that, in order for that to happen, guys like Jaden Mickey, Benjamin Morrison – Ryan Barnes, uh, Chance Tucker, Philip Riley. Like, those guys need to come to work every day, man. And they need to push them. And they need to be ready to play because there is a reality. I know we both think that Clarence is going to be better than he was last year. And he's going to play mm-hmm. a lot of football. But there is also a reality where he doesn't take a step forward, right? And, and there are t- games where it's not implayable, but, like, you don't want to play him at a high snap volume. Like, that is just the reality of the situation. But in order to take him out of a game, other guys need to be ready to play, right? Like, that is the reality of it. So I know everyone's super excited about what Jane Mickey did in the spring and transitioning into the fall, as am I, for sure. sure. But you still haven't seen it on a football field yet, right? Like, right. you've seen Clarence Lewis look good on a Saturday. Right. On a Saturday. You need to see it tangibly during game action and some guys as freshmen just aren't ready for that i think that right. i think that in this situation i think Jaden mickey's gonna be ready for right. it because he's just a really competitive football player i'm not saying he's not i just don't necessarily want to want to have to trust freshmen all the time as, right. at a cornerback well especially in the open transition right yeah, i mean it, it takes it's the it's the truly elite of the elite that can really step into that you know, Sauce Gardner as a freshman Cincinnati, Derek Stingley. You know, those are guys that we're talking about being top five NFL draft picks. A lot of other guys aren't stepping into that I'm the guy role as first-year players. And so for Jaden, he's got to prove himself capable. Hey, can you help us? Can you come in there and give us a role? I'm not saying he's got to be in in this. I know you're not saying that I'm saying this, but we're not asking to be a 60-snap-a-game guy as an outside corner. But when he's in there, he's got to make a place. Now, there's one nice thing about Jaden is, number one, well, a, a concern I have about Jaden Mickey and then a positive I have about Jaden Mickey. The two positives. The concern is he's really aggressive, which means I'll be shocked if Jaden Mickey doesn't make a huge play this year coming down and jumping a slant or something like that. And I hope it's in a bigger game, but he's going to make a play like that this year because he's really smart. He's really twitchy. He's not a burner per se, although – the reports we've gotten is that he's faster than Notre Dame thought he was going to be when he showed up this winter, which is always a good sign when you hear that. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's really twitchy. He's really quick. But he's really smart. 
but he's aggressive, sometimes too aggressive. And as a young guy, he may not be as ready to recognize, okay, he's not running a slant here. He's running a sluggo here, his slant and go. And that's my concern is that if I'm going to have him play aggressive, I'm going to make sure I have protection over top of him because that's when you get burned. And we've seen that in some practices where he really tries to bite that and then, bam, they beat him over top. So he's going to have to learn from that. But the positive is, on top of him being very talented, Ryan, that's not going to face Jaden at all. Now, it doesn't mean that he won't be bothered by it. He's going to be ticked off. What I mean phased is the best corners are guys that that bounce immediately bounce back from getting beat. They learn from it, right? And me like, oh, shoot, I can't jump that route, and you're not going to beat me on that route again. But it's not that thing that we've seen with some Notre Dame corners in the past, and this is true everywhere, but we're a Notre Dame show, so we're talking about the Notre Dame corners. Like Gary Gray never mentally recovered from the Michigan game in 2011. Just never recovered mm-hmm. from it. We've mm-hmm. seen other corners in the past that just never recover from getting smoked in a big moment. Jaden just strikes me as that kind of guy that if you beat him, it's just going to make him mad and make yeah. him want to come back and 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 you know battle harder and that kind of thing. So mentality wise, he's he's one of those freshmen that has the mentality to play right away because when he does make mistakes, which will happen to a freshman corner, it's just not going to cause him to lose him, his confidence the way it, it may be like it did Tariq Bracy in 2020, you know, and, and and you could just see it with Clarence last year in the bowl game. I mean, by the third quarter, his confidence was just shot. I mean, you can see mm-hmm. it. I don't see Jaden having that same problem. Now, the good thing is Clarence has battled back from that, right? But, I mean, you could just tell in the third quarter, early fourth quarter, it's like the kid just had no confidence in himself. I don't see Jaden having that problem. Now, it's it's his biggest positive and his biggest negative at times, right, is that he's an over-aggressive and very confident kid. It's going to hurt him at times, there's no doubt. But then it's also, like you said, he's going to make a lot of plays just based upon his twitchiness and his aggressiveness and his instinctual nature of playing the cornerback position. But it's also going to hurt him at times, right? right? To your point, right? But I think that's the key is quarterback and cornerback are the two positions for me that you have to have a very short memory because things go bad quickly. Like we talked about everybody sees it. Hundred. When a cornerback gets beat, they're like if a guard gets beat, most people don't even see it because they're following the ball. When a corner gets beat, everybody sees it. Mm-hmm. Everybody. And you mentioned a good player early, and it's stylistically, he's not the same with the Julian Love, obviously, because Jane Mickey's a, just a different type of athlete, right? So he's been be used a lot differently than Julian was. But you mentioned a time that Julian got beat, right, for the fifty-yard post route to Nico Collins against Michigan. But he was one of those players, Julian Love, where that stuff didn't bother him, man. Like he was mm-hmm. just a self-driven kid. We're like, all right, next play, I'm gonna, I'm still gonna jump that slant, and I'm still gonna make a play. Eventually, you know, like mm-hmm. I'm going to make a play, and that's what Jaden Mickey is for me. So he is a guy that I'm really interested to see when he, when he gets onto the field, as far as like during the season, because he's going to play. But how much does he play early? Do they ease him in? Do they throw him into the fire? Like, I want to see what the maturation of him is. Right. Because I do think that he, if given an opportunity, I think he's going to make a lot of plays. There's going to be growing pains, but I think he's a player that can bounce back quickly from those growing pains. Guy that I've heard a lot more about in the last couple weeks is Benjamin Morrison. Now, it's that time of year we start hearing things about freshmen, and it doesn't always manifest itself on Saturdays that first year. So this isn't me saying Benjamin Morrison's going to play. I don't know, but I'm starting to hear more and more from different people that 
this kid's got something. Now, does that mean this kid's got something? So watch out in 2023 <laughs> or, or is it this kid's got something he's going to help us right now? I think that's a big question mark because Ryan as much. I, I, I've said to before, Chance Tucker, really smart player, right? Mm-hmm. I've always kind of predicted that this kid's going to make me look bad for how low I had him ranked in the class. Right. And I hope he yeah. does. Cause he seems like a tremendous young man, uh, great family. Really like Ryan Barnes. Everybody knows that. Love Ryan Barnes's potential. You know, Philip Riley's got some tools. Tariq, all. But you know how I feel about this one. There's not a corner on the roster not named Cam Hart, in my opinion, that has more God-given ability than Benjamin Morrison, because he has one thing that Jaden Mickey doesn't have as much of, and that is size. He is long. He's yeah. a lot like he's like the corner version of Jackson Smith and Jigba. Where when I see him listed at six foot, I'm like, he seems a lot taller than that or a lot longer than that. And if he can, if him and, because look, Jaden has already forced himself into the rotation. Jaden Mickey's going to play this year. That That's a given. We're talking about him as not a, gee, I wonder if Jaden's going to step up and play this year. No, he's going to play. The question is how good and how consistent and can he avoid the big fresh mistakes? He's going to play. Mm-hmm. If Benjamin Morrison plays this year, that is a great sign for the Notre Dame defense because he's going to have to push out Chance Tucker, who I've heard is having a really good camp. It means he's going to have to push Benjamin Ryan Barnes, who's had a good camp. It means he's going to really play because one of the things I've been to- I was told during the summer from people not associated with the defense is that the secondary has really improved hmm. in the last year. It's the second full year of coaching with Mike Mickens. Again, first year Mike Mickens here. There was like four months where he couldn't coach his kids because because of COVID, right? Right. Mm-hmm. So I've heard that they're seeing a jump. That's great to hear, but we need to see it on Saturdays. So if Benjamin Morris can force his way into that rotation, that's a good sign because it means what we think about him talent-wise, Ryan, is coming to fruition even faster than maybe I even thought it would be because he was a five-star upside guy for me, but I thought he would need time because he was just kind mm-hmm. of a just really talented, but needed work. If he, if he's on the field early on, most likely it's a really good sign for Notre Dame. He's like, he's an enigma for me. Right. And an enigma is not, doesn't necessarily have to be a negative. An enigma just really means like, you don't know what to expect. Mm-hmm. Right. Like I also watched his film later than you did, obviously. And I thought the tools were fantastic. I mean, mm-hmm. he's physical, he's long. I think he's, a really intelligent kid, but he's still like trying to, he's still figuring it out from a technical perspective. The upside is immense with a guy like a Benjamin Morrison, but being a guy that is not a spring early, an early enrollee, then in for the spring, you're coming in to a situation where you're behind the eight ball, quote unquote, if you want to use that term, right? Like you have to make up ground quickly in order to be a proven commodity. So I think the long term is going to be really nice for Benjamin Morrison. I don't know what to expect in 2022. But I agree with you. Again, I mean, I've talked about this with the other corners too. In order for that second cornerback position to be as good as it possibly can, it's because guys are exceeding expectations from a full scope perspective. Like it can't just be one guy. It's got to be multiple guys. Mm -hmm. And there's no reason it can't be Benjamin Morrison. It's just he's the new guy. In the right. room, right? Like he's the youngest guy. Didn't he have the spring like Jaden Mickey had, right? Or Jaden Bellamy, and exactly. Right. So he needs to be that guy that learns quickly from everything that we that you've told me and that I've heard. 
He's a very smart kid, and I'm sure that he's picking things up very quickly. I don't think that that's going to be an issue for him. But that is, again, a position that needs some time at times, right? right? Like, you you see elite guys from time to time, but for the most part, quarterback's a pretty tough transition, man. Like, that's Mm -hmm. not easy to come in as a freshman and be a dude. It's a difficult thing to, to see. If he is that guy, then that is a great sign to your point because that right. means that not only do you have a couple older guys that are probably playing pretty good football, but Benjamin Morris is just too good to keep off the field. Like at that right. point, right? And if that's true, we know Jaden Mickey is already too good to keep off the field with what he's done spring into fall. The question is just how much of an impact can he have? Is he going to have any impact at all? I don't know what to expect from Benjamin Morrison, but mm-hmm. I'm excited to find out just how impactful he can yeah. be in your one. Well, and I think that's part of the reason for me, Ryan, that that my optimism about the position for the future is much, much brighter and better and more encouraged than maybe I feel right now about 2022 specifically, at least September of 2022 specifically. Sure. And and it's because because of the talent of the kids that we just talked about, you know, and and then you look at the 2022 three class and it's got, you know, Micah Bell and Christian Gray and and you start getting really encouraged by that group of players but as you said wait. i can't wait for this time next year brian when those two guys are here as well and there's still a na- there's still going to be a national perception that notre dame doesn't have talented corners and stuff and right. just be like um <laughs> I, right. I, I, I think we're kind right. of throwing that out the window at this point yeah but, that, that yeah. needs to go away and die correct yes. yes that needs that needs to go away so but but can they make it go away this year that's going to be the question right and that's what we need to know. And, and like you said about, about Benjamin Morrison, I think you, you nailed it. I, I don't know if enigma is the word I would use, but I definitely, your explanation made a lot of sense to me because we don't really know what to expect from him. And as you said, he also you know didn't get the spring work, but he also didn't come from a region that just throws the ball a ton. Right. You know, like if he was in like playing modern day one week and Centennial the next, it's like, that kid's, you know, St. John Bosco the next, like Jaden Mickey was playing against in high school. Like this kid's seen a lot of action in his career. Jaden Mickey's battle tested. That's the other thing about Jaden Mickey that we didn't mention before is that dude's been covering Division One receivers for three years. I mean, that's just the reality of it. I mean, there was a, a game as a junior, uh, maybe as a sophomore year, where he's playing Keon Barnett. Burnett. Now, if you don't know who he is, Keon Burnett's like a six-five tight end who was a top hundred player by some people last year. And there's a game from 2019, I believe, when they were both sophomores. Where let's see, no, it'd be would it be 20, 2020 was his junior, so 2019 was their sophomore year, correct? Yes. And Jaden Mickey straight shut him down. Well, Jaden Mickey was little that year, but he was so aggressive and his he was so fundamentally sound and he was he was just strong. He could shut that guy down. The point is, Benjamin hasn't been tested like that game after game after game after game. Right. And I think that's that's the key is he. I think Jay, that's why I think part of the reason when people talk about competition, I really think people miss the boat when they say, well, I don't know how good that guy is because of the competition he plays. Well, that's an evaluation problem, not a player problem, or that guy's not a big time player. Why? Well, look who he plays against. That has nothing to do with that player. Where mm-hmm. I think competition matters, however, is it can have an impact on how quickly you can transition to the next level. A kid like Jaden Mickey going against C.J. Williams one week and Bosco the next and all the kids he's playing against week after week after week made it to where he's seen what a Division I receiver looks like. He's Mm -hmm. seen what a top 100 Division I receiver looks like. He's going to be able to make that transition a little bit better than a guy who could just kind of go out and rely on just being better than everyone else around him. 
And I think that's where it matters. And that's another thing that's going to help Jaden Mickey out a lot this year is he's battle tested. He's played against big time players. Benjamin Morrison has a little bit more of a transition, but as we've said, it sounds like things have, have been going, going pretty well. Yeah. So the last part of this, Ryan, safety. Mm-hmm. There, Chris O'Leary said in a recent interview, you're going to see all four of the other safeties. That's DJ Brown, Houston Griffith, Ramon Henderson, and he was also referring about Xavier Watts, but we'll see how that goes. Right. So my question for you is this, and the question that, that, that we have to answer is, we're going to see all those guys play. Is that because no one distinguished, distinguished themselves, which is a concern, or is it because they all had good off seasons, which is more encouraging? We don't know the answer to that. But the answer to that is, to me, is could be that final piece of this puzzle because safety play opposite Kyle Hamilton last year was really inconsistent. It got better by the end of the year, a lot better. I would argue their best stretch of safety play as a unit was after Kyle Hamilton got hurt, not because Kyle was hurt. It wasn't about Kyle. It's just the other guys started playing better. DJ sure. played better. Houston played better. Ramon Henderson was playing better. Xavier was getting some, some burn in there. Well, then the bowl game happened, and all the good vibes about that position group kind of went away. Right. So where are we, Ryan? That's the question that we have to we have to find out, and it's going to determine is it depending on one of those two things is going to have a lot to say about how good the safety position group is. Is are they all playing because no one's like we've said somebody's going to start, somebody's going to win the job, but is it just because well that's the best option we got, or wow all these kids are playing great? Houston's finally the guy we thought he was going to be. Ramon's making that transition. DJ's finally doing this or that. He's the guy that we've heard the most about as far as having a great fall camp is DJ Brown, and he had a great spring as well. You know, right. wh- what's the reason why they're all going to play? I think that answer is going to go a long way towards determining how good the secondary can be. It's a little bit of a troubling question, Brian, if I'm being yeah. really honest about it, right? Because I, I we would, don't know I, the answer. I, right. Right. I hope that it's that everyone is just playing right. really high-quality football, but I am not going to lie and pretend like I'm not a little worried. I'm a little worried. Yeah, because I, I mean, I just had a, I had a hope that Ramon Henderson and Xavier Watts potentially could take massive steps, and that you created valuable depth for yourself because Houston Griffith has played a lot of football, DJ Brown has played a lot of football, and you're looking there, you're like, wow, we have a couple of these younger guys that have pretty high ceilings and we have a couple guys that have really nice floors and have played a nice amount of football. So then there you get a really nice balance of veteran leadership, younger players that maybe have more range and impact plays on the back end. And then you feel pretty good about the safety opposite of Brandon Joseph. But I would be completely lying if I said that I wasn't a little worried for the fact that I am hearing that there's going to be a heavy rotation. Yeah. Because the, because this is the thing, right? For me, like, let's take DJ Brown. He is, he's played above his talent level a lot at Notre Dame, in my opinion. Right. Like he's not the most gifted athlete of all time. He's a heady player and he's not afraid. Like he'll come up and he'll stick you, which is great. But he's not, but he's a low, he's a high floor or higher floor, lower ceiling type of guy. His, you're not playing him because long term you think he's going to be a dude in the center. Right. You think he has a steady, good approach to hey, the go, game. go check Jackson Smith and Jigba, DJ. No, not no, a conversation. They, you better not. <laughs> you better not do that. That yeah, would so be bad. That would let's be very, very bad. Let's hope that conversation doesn't happen. But yes, you have. But he can be the over top guy on yes. top of Tariq. 
against Jackson Smith and Jigba. For sure. For sure. But then you have a different guy. Let's take Ramon Henderson, for instance, right? He has a little bit of a lower floor because he just hasn't been playing the position very long, but the ceiling's high. Like you saw like that interception again, Virginia, where he's ranging over top. You're like, that range is pretty nice, man. And there is some nice traits. He's got length. He's a pretty good athlete. You're like, okay, if that guy takes a step, then he might be an impactful player, not just an okay player or a solid player, like a good football player. And it tr- it is troubling for me that the low floor guy, it, I mean, sorry, the high floor guy is maintaining that pace with a high ceiling guy because my immediate reaction is, the high ceiling guy may not have taken the step forward. And th- I don't right. think that there's a lot of separation, which that's my first thought. That yes. was my first thought is this because Ramon didn't have the jump. We right. hoped he would have, because he didn't look sure. good in the spring and it wasn't just a play against Jaden Thomas in space. It wasn't just that he didn't look as comfortable in the spring as he did in the fall. Now it could be that Ramon Henderson's just a gamer. I mean, it could be that. I mean, I, you know, I didn't hear any buzz about how good he looked in practice until we saw him playing against Virginia and he looked really good. So that's the question, Ryan, is, is, I mean, honestly, I'll, I'll be, I'll be honest with you here is my, my gut is it's not positive. Not that Houston and DJ aren't playing. Well, again, Houston and DJ were key rotation players on a team that went 11 and one in the regular season last year. Right. right. That, that's the thing is like, this is where I think we kind of sometimes as fans get lost in 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 reality sometimes because you buy too much into what people say about your team instead of just looking at what they've done right, right. say well they play a tougher schedule this year okay yeah which is why we say 10 and 2 is the floor not 11 and 1 is the floor right because they do play better teams than they did last year at the top middle and bottom still not good still teams you should beat i don't care who you're putting in safety i mean pick every single scholarship safety on the roster put them next to brandon joseph and cam hart and this is should be a 10 and 2 football team barring other things not going right at positions you should be strong. It's that's not good enough to beat Ohio State and Clemson and USC, and that's the point, right. you know. So mm-hmm. that's what we're gonna have to find out from this group. And and my concern is that my gut is that this is that, yes, it's good that that Houston and and DJ are stepping up and having good fall camps, which I've heard they're both having a really good fall camps. Mm-hmm. I need to see them do it on Saturdays. But I'm not going to lie. I'm a little concerned if it's if kind of what we're thinking could be the case. And again, we're not hearing this. We're not hearing the remotes having a bad fall camp. We're just we're taking what was said and we're just kind of expanding on it and, and giving our thoughts and opinions on it. If that's what it means, Ryan, that's a that's not a great sign because that's your potential playmaker. Like Ramon Henderson seizing that number two safety job opposite of Brandon Joseph would have been a good sign because you do know what DJ and Houston bring to the table. You do yeah. know who they are. And so if Ramon beat them out, you're like, okay, Ramon's ready to be that dude. But the fact that he hasn't says, okay, it's not that he's playing bad. It's like, but maybe he's not going to be that difference maker. You kind of hope the guy with his length and athleticism and speed could be. I think right. that's the question at this point in time. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's like, Brian, if we, if we were comparing it to a different position for a second, right? Like if I, if, if someone said to me, defensive end position right like, let's just couple both the viper and big end for a second if they were saying isaiah foskey is is the guy that he's always been but also these other players are having such good uh, they they have to play right like alexander Aaronsberger has to play justin adam is good has to play more than he did last year 
this player needs to play more than they did in the, in years past. Not now, stuff immensely needs to play, right? And we, but we already know that Isaiah Foskey is this good of a player, and all. But these guys are just kind of trending and hitting their ceilings and getting to a higher level. That's a much different, much different combination than a position that we needed to find answers to, right? Like there's no answer coming into this offseason, right? Like we we're hoping that Ramon could be the answer or Houston, right. the light bulb comes on or Xavier Watts, the light bulb comes on and he is the type of athlete that we, that we know they can be right. But the fact of the matter is if when a position group did not have a perceived answer, and then you're hearing that all of these guys are going to play, that tells me that you might not have an answer. You might just be trying to find one during the games. And that's troubling. Like, let's just call it what it is, right? Like that is, that's the most troubling out of, I don't want to say most troubling, but that is something that I am going to keep my eyes close on. Like I am going to be watching that safety position opposite of Brandon Joseph to see, because I hope that I'm wrong. I hope that all these guys are just playing such good football that they couldn't decide on who's a starter and they couldn't keep other guys off the field. I'm hoping that's the outcome, but I would be a hundred percent lying again if that was my first impulse to hearing that news. So we had a, you know, we, we, we look at the secondary Ryan. And again, it's, it's not asking for the other guys to play great football. Nobody does that. It's about, can they avoid giving up the big plays? And can they be in a situation where they can make some plays? That's the thing is if the secondary can just avoid giving up the big plays like it did at times last year, it'll be a good secondary. I think that's what it looks so like. How does it manifest? What is a good play? How does it man? You hold Ohio State 180 passing yards. No, no, that that's not what we're talking about. It's you can create enough stops that you can get Ohio State off the field, and and that's kind of that's kind of the thing for me. Yeah, it's make stops, and and it's this thing about. Limiting the big plays. Don't have the. I mean, they gave up long touchdowns last year on just MAs, missed assignments, just blown coverages. Those are the things you have to avoid. If they didn't have those kind of mistakes against North Carolina, that game's not even close. It's not even close, and they're just yeah. letting guys walk into the end zone, not because they weren't good enough, because they were. It was MAs. That's the stuff we need to see cleaned up from that group this year. And I think sometimes we forget how young a lot of that secondary was last year. Sure. Thomas was a true sophomore. Ramon Henderson was a true sophomore. You know, all those type of things. And I think that's going to be an interesting aspect to this as well. Yep. Yep. It, it's it's a position where it's very it's it's like baptism by fire at times, right? Like you see a secondary, mm-hmm. and that goes from I mean, I talk about cornerback having kind of a a a cornerbacks need to have kind of a short memory. Safeties do too. I mean, they really do. Secondaries in general, mm-hmm. especially with how the game is today, a lot of times you learn by making mistakes and mm-hmm. Let's hope that a couple of the sophomores made their mistakes last year and they've learned from it. That's the biggest thing is how these guys respond to the adversity. That's like for every player though, right? Like every player in order to hit their ceiling, they're going to go through some adversity at some point. And the guys that hit close to that ceiling are the ones that are mentally tough enough to get over the bad moments, to get over the misplays and and the missed assignments to your point. Right? So I think that there is, potential with the secondary no doubt it's just we need to see we need to see a lot of growth at certain spots and with certain football players and I think that last year can serve at a good opportunity for them to learn but until you see it on a Saturday 
We're just speculating on how good it's going to be. Yes. Yes. And that's going to be the key. How they play on Saturdays. And they're going, it's going, hey, look, it's going to be a baptism by fire. There's no doubt about that. I mean, we're going to find out. This is one of those things where, like, you know, first three games they did pretty well. And then game four, you finally get challenged. No, they're going to be challenged on the first snap of the game. I mean, snap one is that it's going to be a challenge. And we're going to find out real fast. And then, if they struggle in the opener, it's about, okay, how do you get them going in the right direction? Right. How do you get them to bounce back? How do you get them ready? Cause you can survive a lost Ohio state, but that means you got to run the table. Your margin for error is gone. If you want to compete for a championship, it's you can't lose again. It's about then transitioning to say, okay, now let's build off of that and then get ready for the next big game that we're going to have. And that's going to be the thing we're going to find out about this football team. How do they bounce back from that first game? Good or bad, if it goes well and you shut Ohio State down for Ohio State, you hold them to 20-some points, do you start feeling good about yourself and say, hey, we've arrived, or you know, do you keep battling? And then the other way around, if you struggle, are you able to bounce back and say, hey, as a group, can we maintain our confidence, learn from our mistakes, and go out and shut the next ones down? Yeah, that's the question marks, man. And it's a young team in spots, and not only just in the secondary, like you just kind of mentioned, a lot of guys were younger players that we didn't really talk about as much having – limited opportunities until last year. I mean, we've talked about just the importance of the sophomore class on the offensive side of the ball, for instance, right? Like this is a younger football team, but the talent is certainly there. So it's about the preparation and the ability for this coaching staff to put them in proper positions. That's the first and foremost thing. And from there, it's about letting the talent be the talent. And for that, that conversation, those players need to to advocate for themselves and they need to have the the self awareness to understand I can't do this or I can do this and I need to continue to do it this way in order to be the type of football player that my talent says I can be so there's gonna have to be a lot of self-assessment I think in the secondary specifically but just as a team because there is going to be lack of playing time in certain spots and there's going to be guys that are inexperienced that are going to try to make a push but as we see them that's how great teams are built the teams that have players that are willing to accept that challenge, right? That's like a very cliche thing, but you have to accept the challenge and you have to exceed expectations. That's the only way that you hit near the the upside or the the ceiling, however you want to quantify it. That's how Notre Dame is the best version of themselves this year. Right. Ryan, that's going to do it for this part of the show. We're going to have a mailbag next, but before we do, remember, hit that like button, hit the subscribe button, hit the notification bell, share this podcast. Reminder, Ryan and I are going to be doing the PM show tonight. We're not sure what time it's going to start. Sometime probably like around 5.36, around the time the normal show starts. That's why you need to hit that notification bell uh, for sure so you know what time we're going live tonight. Stay locked into the message boards at irishbreakdown.com. Be ready to rock and roll with us tonight. We also launched our uh, today our first show for the CFB Nation All-America podcast uh, with Bill Bender and Bill Trockey of sporting news who are the hosts of that show they did a great job um, doing that i i enjoyed editing that podcast up let's just say that and listening to the arguments that were made bill took a really interesting take on he thinks the big 10 needs to just stop flirting with ohio with notre dame and his i mean i understood his take i don't agree with it but it was a really well thought out and well reasoned point of view which as you know ryan you don't have to come on this channel and be pro Notre Dame. I didn't hire them to be pro Notre Dame. It's make good arguments, have have good reasons why you are saying the things you're saying, and make it fun. And it was definitely that. 
And so uh, those are those are aspects of it that I really enjoyed it. And I think you all will like it too. CFB Nation is where you need to be. You find that podcast. I've tweeted out those podcasts today. So you'll be able to check those out as well. So Ryan, that's going to do it for this part of the show. Mailbag is going to come up next. happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m., and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com